Hey everyone, it's Tanya. Welcome back to another episode of Classroom to Copy. I know I always say I have someone very special with me, but this person is really very special to me because uh, uh, he is probably the first person I met on Copy Cheese or who like reached out to me directly on Copy Cheese and he told me to keep going, like whatever I was doing. And this was like just maybe, yeah, it was two months into studying copywriting and he told me that I was doing everything I needed to be doing and then he's kept me on track ever since and he is none other than Joshua Lee Henry who heads our wonderful world of financial copywriting club in the copy chief forum he is also the copy chief at money and markets which is part of Banyan Hill and he's worn so many hats he has I think like transitioning between careers is probably like a you know um, something he's very experienced at and has lots of stories to tell. I'm not even sure of the chronology of his story, so I'm going to leave it to <laughs> tell the story. Um, hi, Joshua. Do you want to, you know, uh, share with us like your all your past career lives that have led yeah. to today? Yeah, absolutely, Tanya. I just want to thank you so much for having me on. I love what you're doing uh, with Classroom to Copy. You know, I you inspire me so much and. You know, if, if uh, an insecure version of me from 20 years ago probably would feel very threatened by your success <laughs> because you are just a phenomenal rock star in the world of financial copywriting. I can't believe all that you've achieved already uh, in just such a short amount of time. And, and you yourself have had a very accomplished, you know, career before getting into copying uh, yourself. And so I think that, you know, high achievers, um, people like you, uh, you know, people like uh, some of the other guests that you've had on the show and, and maybe some of what I've done in my career, high achievers have a way of pushing through resistance, managing change in an effective way, overcoming obstacles, and they have the ability to pivot. And by pivot, I mean, you know, take in new information, observe, you know, the situation, and, and make it a distinctive change to be able to head in a new direction as fast as possible. And you have done that. You are such a success already. And uh, like I said, I know you're going to go far, and it might not be a few years from now that I'm asking you for a job. So you might be my copy chief, uh, you know, in the not-too-far-off future. And so thank you for having me on. Thank you for those very kind words and for completely dodging the questions I asked you. <laughs> but well, seriously, no, thank you. Thank you. I'm so red right now. That's why I don't record the video for these things. Um, yeah. You know, I have always seen myself as a teacher. I always wanted to be a teacher. I remember when I was in middle school and they had like as an eighth grader, you could sign up to be a teacher for a day and you basically managed the classroom uh, of a subject for the entire day, you and another a student. And so you had to apply for this and be approved. Um, and I remember as an eighth grader, you know, science of all of all subjects, I was approved to teach science for a day. And me and my partner, we had to come up with a, a plan, a lesson plan for the day. And in the school system that I grew up in in the States, it was like, you know, 45-minute modules. And so every 45 minutes, a new group of students would come in, and you had, you know, five or six for the day or whatever the case was. And so we had to give that same lesson over again and over again and over again throughout that day. And I was even able – to teach my sister, who was two years younger than me, uh, as eighth graders, we taught sixth graders, sixth grade science. Um, and I laugh because I, I, social science, I love. Hard science, I hate, you know. And, uh, <laughs> but I, I knew even as a, you know, 12-year-old that uh, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to teach. Um, you know, fast forward, I went to, uh, you know, high school, college. In college, I uh, was a liberal arts major which is funny because you, you can't do anything with these degrees unless you get a master's or a doctorate, you know. And so I double majored in sociology and religious studies, and I was um, six credits shy from a triple major with philosophy. Again, who the heck gets a degree in philosophy? Like nobody majors in philosophy <laughs> unless you want to be a professor. And so I wanted to be a professor. Um and I did some graduate work in a couple of different places. I ended up getting my master's. I got an MBA certificate. I joined one PhD program. And at that point, I uh, had met my wife. I was uh, in ministry at the time. 
uh, vocationally serving as a, a pastor at a mega church, uh, working with nonprofits and, and doing things like that. And my wife and I decided to have kids right away. And so I dropped out of that first PhD program because, you know, balancing work, uh, new family, um, you know, the activities I was a part of, this would have been in 2012, 2013. Um, I, I just, I couldn't do it. it. It was, it didn't make sense for where I was in my situation. So I dropped out of that PhD program. I didn't get very far and I had taken like two classes, you know, but you know, still the joke is by the way, for a PhD that all you have to do is read like 50 books on the same subject and then synthesize all that material into some new research and bam, you got a PhD. That's all a PhD does. Okay. Um, you know, they get very knowledgeable at a very specific, small subject, uh, and then they write about it and then they don't do anything with that thesis anymore. You know, um, they move on and become a professor. But, um, a couple years later in 2016, 15 or 16, I joined another PhD program. It had been a few years. Uh, I thought, you know, I'm a little bit further along in my career. I was still doing some ministry stuff. Um, but that didn't work either. And at that point, I had transitioned out of full-time ministry. I was still serving uh, as a volunteer, but I had transitioned into um, uh, essentially uh, wholesale life insurance and annuity brokerage. And what that means was I was working with independent financial planners, uh, financial planners and advisors at banks and credit unions and different financial institutions. And I was the internal sales rep to supply them with investment products like life insurance and annuities. Eventually, mm -hmm. I became an external wholesaler and got in, in the world of sales and figured out that as I was entering the second PhD program, that I was making more money in sales than I would be even as a graduate through this PhD. Most professors don't make a whole lot of money. Most, you know, if you're in business, if you're in sales, if you're in marketing, copywriting, you know, sales is where the money is. And so yeah. I thought, wait a second, I'm already making more money than I would with the PhD. So why am I getting the PhD? Secondly, the PhD, even though it was in leadership and it was in international leadership, um, that's so broad and vague and not really like super practical. Like, I mean, like leadership by itself is practical, but when you have like, uh, it, it was in, um, uh, it was called, um, intercultural, intercultural, it was the school of intercultural studies. So it was like, a, a, a geo, um, I don't even remember the name for it, but it was like a, basically like a, a geopolitical slash uh, international slash uh, intercultural leadership program. And, you know, it would have been great if I was going to become a CEO of like a nonprofit, like a, a major, you know, international nonprofit. But nonprofits are called nonprofits for a reason. They don't have any profit. They don't have any money. <laughs> and so, I'm like, professors don't make the money. Hmm. Uh, not that it's all about money. Most people that are called the teachers want to help people. They want to serve people. They want to educate. They want to impart knowledge. Uh, they're not doing it for the money, you know. But uh, as with family, you know, that's that's a key part of life. Is you gotta have you gotta have that financial means. And so I knew teaching wasn't where the money was. I, I knew uh, uh, being a professor wasn't where the money was, and I knew being a, a CEO of a nonprofit wasn't where the money was. Um, again, not that it was all about money, but. I had already began to discover copywriting and copywriting checked off many of the boxes that I felt called to with teaching in copywriting as you know, it's all about communication. Number one, number two, it's all about research. Number three, it's all about writing. You know, again, I was a liberal arts major. So philosophy, all I did was write papers. I had roommates that would tease me in my undergrad. Like all you do is write papers. That's, all you do is write research papers. Well, in copywriting, so much of what we do is writing research. You know, it's persuasive research that we communicate in a way that drives people to take action. And so, you know, I, I went from a, being a professor wannabe in a PhD program to becoming a vice president of marketing at that brokerage business. I went from internal wholesaler to external wholesaler to VP of marketing. Um, and, and then I became the, you know, full-time copywriter, freelance copywriter and started my own business. And so that's that progression, but you were totally right, Tanya. There's like three different careers there. You know, I yeah. basically, by the time I was 30, I had three different careers, totally different industries. Um, but I love what I do now in, in writing financial copy. I'm curious, what originally drew you to that second PhD or even like the first one? And like, did you do any like, um, what do you call it? Like a graduate teaching while you're 
in those programs? I, I did a I did a lot of research assistantship. Um, I did a few graduate teaching things for different like um like modules or uh, they what they call them like um not lectures were they seminars whatever like when they do like like a one off course on a on a on a topic you know what I mean mm-hmm. so I did that. And I did a lot of research. I did a lot of publishing, too, even. Um, I wrote some articles that were published. It was funny. I wrote an article for a book, yeah, two, a couple of different books that were published in the books. And in one of the books, they mistake – I mean, I was in a teaching program. But they, like, called me Dr. Joshua Lee Henry. Like, they already had the doctor. I was like, well, I'm not – I'm not, you know, <laughs> in, in PhD world, you have what's ABD. It's all but dissertation. So you're all but, like – your dissertation is not complete yet, so you're you're a PhD candidate, ABD, all but dis- you know, all but done, all but dissertation basically. Uh, but they had in a couple, in, at least in one book, not two of the books I did, they had Doctor John. I was like, well, I'm not really. I had to call them like, I don't know if you guys want to recant that or what, but I'm not really a doctor yet. But to be honest with you, Tanya, a lot of it was approval, and it was. Um, you know, ego, uh, I wanted those letters after my name to signify how smart I was. I mean, that's shit. That's honestly what it is. Just being really honest. I'm at a mm-hmm. point now in my self-esteem and, and my ego is in check where I wanted like alphabet soup after my last name. I had the B, you know, the, the BS, the MA, the MBA. I was like, well, duh, put a PhD over there, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, maybe let's round out the alphabet. And uh, that was all ego. It was all just in approval of me seeking approval from others, yeah. you know, validating that I'm, quote, unquote, smart, you know. Um, again, yeah. you know, there's – go ahead, yeah. No, I definitely felt that pressure after I left teaching. I was like, should I go do my master's now? Should I – like, how do I validate my work? Because I'm in this period of time between careers. Like, do I need to add those letters to, to validate – who, who I was even, you know, and I think there's also that temptation after leaving teaching to like accumulate more qualifications. And that, that's the special thing about copywriting. It isn't so much about qualifications, right? And um, I remember you had this really great story about how you um, promoted yourself as a copywriter, like door to door. Do you want to share that? Yeah, absolutely. And I want to circle back to education and the changing world of education, if, if you'd like to, because there's, you know, I had somebody here recently ask me, a financial copywriter was asking me if I thought college was worth it. And, you know, that whole career path. And so if that's something that you think might be of value or of interest to your audience, we can circle back to that. Um, but when I was starting out, uh, you know, the, the VP of marketing job that I had, was in uh, was very good for a couple, you know, for, I was there for three years. And the first, like, the first year and a half, it was very good. Uh, the second year and a half, not so much. Uh, this was around uh, the 2016 election, the 2018 midterms. There was a lot of uh, just upheaval in the country at the time. Different laws were changing. Um, stocks, by and large, were doing good. But a lot of the banks had some changes in regulation that were constraining how sales commissions were paid out, which impacted my sales commission that I got. And so – the last year and a half was, was a very much a financial struggle for my wife and I. We were, you know, getting by, scraping by the skin of our teeth. Um, and then my dad passed away, and he did not have any life insurance. Ironically enough, here I was working in a life insurance uh, role, and, and he didn't have life insurance. And so um, my wife and I paid for the cost of his funeral, which if you've never seen, you know, it's so sad when somebody passes away, but the costs associated with funerals here in the West in America – Anyway, they're astronomical. It's insane how much that stuff costs. Um, and so we paid for that, and that pretty much drained our savings. I mean, we had zero left in savings. In fact, um, we had less than $300 when uh, I started my, my freelance career, and even that was out of necessity because in the, in the marketing business, I ended up having – at one point I had 17 people that reported to me directly, and I had to fire every single one of them until mm-hmm. it was just me. And then the CEO fired me because there, there's, there's no money coming in. And we didn't have any, you know, much in our savings after paying for dad's funeral. So we had $281 in our bank account. And I needed a way to generate income fast. I needed money that day. And I'll never forget it. It was June 1st, 2018. And I, I knew that in my arsenal of money skills, copywriting would be the one I could deploy the greatest uh, use of. And so – I went door-to-door, Tanya, downtown, 
walking door to door, calling on businesses in the uh, the downtown uh, business sector of, of my city. And I went to the advertising agencies first, and then I went to the insurance companies, like real estate agents and chiropractors, and, and really just kind of went down the line, knocking on doors. And I would go in these buildings, you know, I, I would talk to the person at the front desk, I'd put on a big smile, I'd be as enthusiastic as I could, I'd shake their hand, I'd introduce myself. And I'd say, hi, I'm here. And, and what I was doing was I was texting my wife in between, uh, a, you know, in, in between going into these different businesses. And I'd say, hey, I'm at, you know, so-and-so uh, insurance agency. Go on, because my, my uh, internet access wasn't working on my phone. So I would call her or text her and say, hey, can you look, look up this company's website, see who the CEO is, see if they've got like an about us section, see if they have a team page, find out who the CEO and the president is, give me their name. That way I could have that information when I walked in. And I would just walk in. I'd say, hi, my name is Joshua Lee Henry. I'm the you know, founder of Activate Advertising. I'm a freelance copywriter. Is you know, the president's name or the CEO's name, are they available right now? I've got some ideas to improve their marketing. And they'd be like, do you have an appointment? And I was like, no, but I've got some really great ideas that I think would help boost more sales, bring in more customers, and increase the conversion rates of some of the, the, the marketing that you're doing right now. And i like to share those free of cost. Well, who's going to say no to that? You know what I mean? Like if you're a business owner, especially in like mom and pop, local brick and mortar type businesses, uh, you know, if they hear somebody wants to help them make more sales, if they've got a moment, they'll come out and at least talk to you. And that's how I got my first clients. Tanya, that's how I got my first clients. Yeah, I think that that story always uh, inspired me, especially, you know, at the point in my career when I was still prospecting and like, uh, doing freelance and looking for financial copywriting clients. And I'll just be like, you know what? Joshua did this on foot. <laughs> um, but I think that's also a great, cause, um, another person I interviewed on the podcast, Elizabeth, uh, Bitsy, she, she didn't do it on foot, but she started with, um, her community, just talking to people yep. closest to her. And, you know, if, even if you don't have a portfolio, you're not ready to charge, you can at least like, um, try and show someone results, right? And and build up yes. from there. Um, like the opportunities are a lot closer than we realize um, most of the time. And I was wondering, you know, you, you you said that you paid off like the funeral and, and you know, you had $300 left in your bank account. What gave you the conviction to, to choose freelancing instead of going back to another full-time, like looking for another full-time job? I mean, I was like, don't, don't get confused. Like I was looking for a job, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like I did not have this fresh revelation that like I, freelancing was where the money was at. Believe me. I think sometimes people think like, how did you have that courage? How did you, well, I was like, I had to do it. Like I was going on interviews, but I mean, 300 bucks does not go very far when you've got a family of four. You know what I mean? Yeah. I had a, I, our mortgage payment at the time was $861, you wow. know? And so I had to make money. And like, even if I got a job, you know, there's, you know, one or two weeks of interviews, then you've got, you know, you've got to wait a, a couple of weeks before your first paycheck comes. And nobody was hiring me. I, for whatever reason, I believe it was because my faith was lying in being a freelancer, you know, and I, I just didn't know it yet, but I was trying to get a job. And so I, I encourage people when they're in that situation to try to find work. But if you can't get hired, I had to take, I had to take, the responsibility, you know, that I had for my family to do something with it. I had to take my destiny and put it in my hands. And so, I mean, that's, that's really what it was, Tanya. I needed to come away with money that day. And mm -hmm. I knew that if I could go to a business, they had checkbooks, they could write me a check. Okay, here, here's a $500 check. Here's a $300 check. Here's a $1,000 check. Go write me some new website copy. I knew that was something I could sell. And what were those first jobs like? The ones that you got? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so the, the very the very very first thing that I got was um, I had a buddy that um, has a still I still talk to him a tree trimming business and so because I was doing a lot of stuff on foot but I also knew like I had gotten a chiropractic client early on this wasn't my first I'll tell you this story my first one but the chiropractic client I got I wrote some flyers for him so then I thought oh how many other chiropractors are in Fort Wayne Indiana where I live and I just started phone calling everybody. And I just basically, I bottled my sales message that I was doing door, door to door. And I just used that one chiropractic client as a success story. And I started selling that to chiropractors. But my very first project was a, my buddy that owns a tree trimming business. And 
I told him, I was like, yeah, I'm doing marketing. I write copy. He's like, well, what does that mean? I was like, well, dude, you know, like for your business, what I would do is I would write these flyers for you. I would write the flyer. You go print them out. And then you can go around the neighborhood and put them in the mailboxes or on the door, kind of soliciting, you know, business for him. And I wrote three flyers for a tree trimming business. I remember one of them was all about like uh, tree limbs falling down in a thunderstorm and how that can cause damage to your property or, you know, injury to your kids or your loved ones and how you don't want that to happen. Uh, the second big idea for the second one was about, you know, it was appealing to vanity about like, you don't want your neighbors to think you're that crazy guy that doesn't keep their lawn up. And, you know, you've got the wild bushes growing everywhere. And like, it was kind of like a vanity keeping up yeah. the Joneses. Like, yeah. you don't want to have the ugliest yard in town in, mm-hmm. in your neighborhood, you know. Um, and then the third one, I don't remember what the third one was, but it was, some, it was something along those lines. So it was like a fear-based one, a vanity-based one. And then, again, I don't. I think the third one might have been like how how trimming your trees can increase the property values of your home. I think that's what the third one was. And so, and I wrote these flyers and I charged him 75 bucks a flyer and he did not want to pay me. And I had to chase the payment down every day until he paid me, which thank God came, you know, in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. But uh, that was the very first project that I sold. Wow. The second project that I sold, I think was the chiropractor. And that was basically rewriting website copy. Um, I had a couple of like uh, accountants in there where I did some uh, rewrites of, of website copy. And then I called on the advertising agencies because this is a great tip that I, I've not heard more copywriters do. But if you're a freelance copywriter trying to get clients, my suggestion would be to call up every advertising agency in your town and ask if they hire freelancers. Because one of the rules of copywriting prospecting is you don't want to have to convince people that they need copy. Yeah. You only want to sell the copy services to people that already know the value of it. Well, who's going to know the value of it? Advertising agencies. And so I called every online advertising agency, every marketing company in my town, and a couple of them hired me for freelance stuff. And it was like random stuff. It was like rewrite this brochure, write this website, write a flyer, you know, do something for a trade booth. But you know what? They were writing me checks, and that's mm-hmm. all I cared about. And so at which point, you know, I know you shared with me the steps you took to get better at copy. You worked with Roy Fur, and then you've also joined Copy Chief and all that. Was this like at the, around the same time or like after? This, this was all at the exact same time. Wow. And so uh, this was also, I, it was crazy because um, I kind of forgot about this. So I had, we had like, we had like, um, I want to say we had like $2,500 left in our bank account. And uh, there's another copywriting teacher named Ray Edwards. He was like my very, very, very first copywriting teacher. And he was doing a course for $2,000. And I bought that. And that's why we only had 500 bucks. And then we had to pay some things. We Because when I went to his copywriting course, this was an in-person event. And I went there the day, I'm not kidding, Tanya, the day I got home, I got fired. Wow. So, and I kept thinking, like, if I would have got, if I would have known I would have gotten fired, I would not have spent $2,000 to learn this copywriting course. Mm-hmm. But I was like, the only thing I can do is take what I learned over this, this two-day course with him. I flew out to Washington and everything. It was crazy. And I can apply that now because I mean, because I couldn't get hired anywhere. So I, I went through Ray's program and he's been on Copy Chief Radio. He, you know, he's been around the game a long time. Um, and then that was in, in, in June in September, I had already made some money, and I went to Roy Fur, and uh, I paid him another two thousand dollars to teach me how to write financial. Um, so I, that was pretty good. You know, I, I had made enough money to live and invest another two grand into Roy within six months. You know, or three months, whatever it was. Yeah. Um, so I knew I was doing something right. Then that was in, in September. Then in December, Paris Lepopoulos, who I've now talked to multiple times, spent time with. You know, you met him before. Mm-hmm. Um, he was doing a birthday special for his cousin, Taki. If you can maybe find some old sales letters on this on the internet, this is in December of 2018. I bought that for $800, I think, or whatever it was. And then I joined Copy Chief on a payment plan as well. So between June to December, those, those six months, I went through training with Ray Edwards. I went through training with Roy Fur. I went through training with Paris Lampropolis. And then I joined Copy Chief with Kevin. So what is the secret? Get a mentor. Get multiple mentors. They are going to help you accelerate your career faster than anything. Mm-hmm. In six months, I had already replaced my income from my full-time job. 
Wow. Now, I was writing a lot. I wasn't specific in a niche. I had a bunch of clients. I was doing a bunch of random projects. But we were we were making a living with copywriting. Yeah. Do you think it would have been possible at all without, like, just DIY studying copy on your own? I don't think so. I, I think it. I think it could have. It would have been longer. Yeah. It would have been harder, and I don't think I would have got, gotten as as far as I did as fast as I did. Because here's the deal: Roy referred me to a client. Um, even though Ray didn't refer me to clients, I learned. I had pitched myself to a, cl- a few clients that he introduced me to. Um, and then Paris, I did get a client through Paris. We were on those calls with Paris. And he had business owners on these calls as well. And one of them was looking for a copywriter. And there's like, you know, 100 people on these calls. Nobody volunteered except me. I was the only person who volunteered. And I told Angie Coley from Copy Chief, I said, you know, should I apply for this? And she's like, yes, absolutely. Go apply. You know, Paris will introduce you. Do it. I thought, but there's 100 other people on the call. She's like, just do it. Come to find out, Paris told me I was the only one that applied. So, of course, the client hired me. And that was multiple months of work. You know, mul- I think it was, you know, I, I think in all maybe 3000 or $5,000, you know, spaced out over three or four months, which, again, like, that's pretty good when you're starting out. You know, you've yeah. got a bunch of different clients paying you $300, $500, $1,000. all adds up. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think you get to a point, even if you read a bunch of books, even if you watch a bunch of YouTube videos, you need somebody else that can help open a door for you, that can help give you prospecting tips. That can help yeah. give you negotiation tips. Yeah. That's the kind of stuff you don't read in a book, you know? Yep. I, I remember, like, the first lead I got after I I started prospecting, you know. So Joshua is the first person who told me, like, you need to stop, like, messing around and start, like, applying for work. So I did that. But the first email I got back, I had no idea how to respond. And you were right there, like, on copy choose, like, you know, here's what you say, here's what you do. Um there's just so many um, pieces to it, and it's really hard doing it alone. Um, yes. Yeah. I'm curious when, because you talked about how much you love teaching uh, as a kid, and then you were also a pastor. And I imagine that you know there's a lot of teaching involved in that. I'm I'm not too familiar. Uh, do you see yourself like transferring any of those skills over to copywriting? Absolutely. I mean, for, for, for people, you know, regardless of the religious context, you know, I think this is true, you know, in different religions, they have teachers, they have people that are kind of more knowledgeable in that particular religion or faith. And, you know, for me, as, as a pastor in a Christian church, I was teaching 45 minutes to an hour every Sunday, you know what I mean? And, and weekly groups, Wednesdays and stuff. And so, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily, there, it was every Sunday for seasons and, and other times it was every other Sunday or a Saturday night, but I, I had to plan a lesson. I had to plan a sermon and, you know, that's a 45, you know, basically now the context that I put it in, that's a 45 minute VSL. I had to plan all those times, you know, or a lesson. Do you want to tell the audience what a VSL is just in case? A VSL would be a. And my sermons would have been or is a video sales letter. And it's basically, you know, for lack of a better word, basically a speech, basically a presentation. You know, you're planning a presentation, which is what a lesson is in the classroom. And so the parallels between teaching, preaching, and writing copy, you, you know, the things that are similar are you're communicating and you're communicating persuasively. Mm-hmm. You have to convey information and emotion that will drive people to take action. Yeah, exactly. Um, some something that I've discussed with my previous guests on the show is just how much the act of teaching is actually not a single skill. It's so many different skills, um, which is why like teachers are great at transitioning into new careers. For anyone who's listening and is, you know afraid to hop off the fence, right? Um, to the extent that I'm inviting a former pastor onto the show, even though he wasn't formerly a teacher, because there's so many skill overlaps here. Um, yeah, that's just something you really strongly me about. Um, before we talk about like the copy chief thing, I know you wanted to talk a bit more about college. 
And yeah, then, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and I've got some really kind of strongly held beliefs about this, and, and maybe you agree or disagree, or maybe others will disagree, but I'll, I'll just say one quick thing about teachers. One of the most valuable skills that you have as a teacher, I'm, I'm assuming of, uh, that you have this, is your ability to read emotions of others. Mm-hmm. Because not all 30 students or 20 students in your classroom are going to have the same personality. They're all not going to respond to the same subject the same way. If you announce, hey, now it's recess or now it's math time or now it's whatever, you know, you have all those different emotions from all those different people at one time that you have to navigate and manage. And when you're writing a sales letter, uh, you know, or or when you are writing copy uh, to an audience that you can't see, you have to anticipate what those emotional reactions are going to be without that person in front of you. And I feel like the more presentation experience you have to large groups or classrooms where you've got a wide range of personalities and emotions, the better equipped you are to envision how different people will respond to certain parts in the sales letter. Yeah, actually, there's this weird thing. I don't know if you've heard of the mind palace. Um, Uh It's like just picturing what's going on in your mind. Well, when I write an email, um, because it's such a short message, like, I picture the audience in, in the classroom. <laughs> it's just, that's what pops up in my head because then I remember what I was like as a teacher, like, what's going to get these 16 year olds to like sit up and pay attention? I think you said something about that. Um, when you were doing your carrot top copywriting. Yeah, 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 um, sure. Like as a pastor that you had to do some pattern interrupts or something like that. Oh, yeah. Am I putting words Very in Very much so. Yeah, do you want to talk more yeah, about no, that? Yeah, you're, no, you're, you're exactly right. And back then in, in sermons and in, 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 even in college classes, my favorite teachers in, in high school, uh, things that I would incorporate into my lessons uh, were always props. I love props because I feel like when you – like if you're a teacher, like I had one teacher that he would, he would walk across and he would scale the perimeter. He was a math teacher. He would scale the perimeter of the classroom without touching the floor. So he would walk across the chalkboard, jump from desk to desk, jump to his <laughs> desk, you know, sit like back then we used to have like overhead projector machines, like yeah. when they would have a cart. He would like sit on that cart and like push himself with on, like the wheels on the cart would like take him to the next place in the room. And then he would do like the circle thing where he would draw like a perfect circle on the chalkboard mm-hmm. because of like your shoulder, like the ability yeah. to do like a perfect you know, circle. Um, so he, he did that kind of stuff. My favorite teachers in college always did that. And so when I started teaching, anytime there was an opportunity for me to bring a prop in, it didn't matter what it was. And that's where I give the carrot top copywriting uh, lesson is incorporating uh, props into your sales message because those can, they can serve as pattern interrupts. And so a lot of times in sales messages, you'll say, look at this new patent. You know, it would be a patent of a new technology that, you know, you might be teasing in the front end. Or, you, you know, one of my best-selling promos at Banyan Hill, it opened up with the host saying, inside this briefcase is $100,000. Mm-hmm. Now, that was the pattern interrupt. That's, you know, it was a prop, and it was a pattern interrupt. And we had these lights shining down on this, like, very, you know, stainless steel briefcase. looked like a, you know, spy movie thing with $100,000 in it. Crisp. They were all banded together, you know, with the bank bands, you know. And it's like, wow, that, you know, that's going to get some attention. And so, absolutely, props are key uh, because they serve as that pattern interrupt. And they they hold attention. There's a, there's a um a tactic in screenwriting called Chekhov's gun, and what it is is like uh, Chekhov was this Russian you know playwright, and, and he would be like you know if, if you're telling a mystery thriller uh, play, and you've got you know the the killers in the room, and there's that before the killer acts, there's that gun on on the nightstand, and you can see it, and like people are like. Oh my goodness, who's gonna grab that gun? Like there's there's like that, that gun there, you know? Um and so anyway, so yes, prompts are invaluable for both teaching, communicating information, and serving as a pattern interrupt. But uh to go back to your question about does that is that helpful? Is that Yeah, yeah. I just wanted people to see more of the parallels between like teaching and copywriting. So like a pattern interrupt would be something that you should, I mean in teaching we call it like the hook. And we still call it we call it the hook also in copywriting, right? The thing that yeah captures attention right at the beginning yeah when i was at, i told you about being that eighth grade science teacher for my sister's sixth grade science class we had beakers like uh test tubes and beakers because even back then i knew like how am i going to hold the attention because i knew 
the teachers that I love listening to the most was somebody that could look at doing something. So we had beakers and test tubes on the desk that we put, like, I think baking soda and vinegar in or something. So it would, like, bubble up, you know. But having that pattern and having that hook even was so key. Um, so my, my thoughts on college. I, I, I had this guy, young guy. I liked him a lot. He um, is a very good copywriter. He needs some more mentoring and coaching, and I'm, I'm helping him, uh, you know, with that. Um, he is inside the Copy Chief community, and he's uh, very good at writing financial copy, but he's, he's still very, like, he's young. He's only 21 years old, so he doesn't have a whole lot of life experience yet, and he doesn't have a whole lot of experience in the markets or general finance, in, in, you know, in, in general. And so I'm helping him with things because sometimes he'll say stuff in copy that, like, doesn't really make sense. And, and we've talked about this. You know, you don't have to be your demographic. You just have to understand your demographic. Like, you obviously don't fit the demographic of a typical financial publishing, you know, customer, but you understand that market. Same with me. Um, and he asked me, though, he, he's Asian. And he asked me, you know, whether I thought college was worth it for him, that his parents were really pushing college. You know, that's a, that's a big thing in a lot of Asian families is, is pushing college, pushing that, you know, degree. Uh, but his parents were not able to help him pay for it. And so he would have to pay for it himself. And he said, you know, I've, I've got my parents are pushing this and, you know, it's very important for my family. At the same time, I have to pay for it. And I just feel like I can make more money with marketing. And I told him I absolutely agreed with him. I, I said, you know, I believe personally, again, this might be controversial, but, you know, I'm 37 and I believe that college is the biggest hoax of my lifetime. Yep. <laughs> we grew up in a generation, you know, like the generation before us, like not everybody went to college. Like a lot of people, like Gen Xers and like people in their 40s and 50s, like it was still good to get a trade. But millennials we grew up where it was like pushed college, 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 four-year degree, get your degree. And what happened was is we've got however many trillion dollars in student loan debt, and you've got all these millions of millennials, 70 million millennials, most of which don't have any real-world market valuable skills. Mm -hmm. They have a piece of paper hanging on a wall that shows that they went $100,000 in debt, and they can't get a job. And so my big thing would be, you know, I've got a sister who did not go to – none of my, my other sisters went to college. Um, but what they did, they either learned a skill or they're learning marketing. And so if you're, you know, if you obviously listening to this podcast, there's such a low bar of entry to get into copywriting. You said it yourself earlier. It's not about qualifications. It's about results. Yeah. Can you get results? Can you make sales? Mm -hmm. Nobody cares. None of my clients have ever hired me because I was a PhD dropout and I had an MBA and I had a, nobody yep. cared. What do they care about? Can I make sales? Can I get them results? Can I increase their lead flow? Can I increase their conversions? And you don't need a, you don't need a college degree for that. Mm -hmm. You can learn a lot of that on YouTube. You can learn a lot of that in free communities on Facebook. I do think that'll take you to a point to where you need that mentoring, as we talked about, you know, earlier to get you to that next level, you'll, you'll hit a ceiling eventually where you need that coaching and that mentoring from somebody. Um, but you don't need, like, you, I, you could go buy, you know, Russell Brunson's books and Dan Kennedy's books and Jay Abraham's books online and spend $100 max and have more valuable of an education in that reading material than you will get in a four-year degree, you know. Now, if you want to be a doctor or you want to be an architect, you know, something where you have to be licensed, um, like an architect or a lawyer, yeah, you need college. But if you're just like a general business major or you're, you know, going like me, a liberal arts, you know, degree, like you can't do anything with that. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're talking to an art school <laughs> graduate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have to say, if you have the financial resources to enjoy the four years, then like go for it, right? Sure. Like I... I didn't like, yeah, my parents couldn't pay for it either. That's why I ended up in that 10 year contract. Um, yeah, yeah. but, and I had a lot of fun because it was art. I mean, it's probably very different from other people's college experiences, sure. but I think for me, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it's the same pool. I shouldn't be messing with my mic. Uh, sorry. Hang on. Um, I'm not sure if it's the same in America, but it, in Singapore, I think 
college is a major status symbol also like to validate where you are in your life uh which is why it might be inconceivable for some families or some people to not go to college i don't know if that shift is but there's a shift happening i'm seeing like more kids like choosing different routes when i was a teacher you know they were choosing to learn skills like you described i don't know if you see a shift like that happening in america there is there's a shift right now back to blue collar skills things like plumbing pipe fitting welding electrical uh driving truck there's a big shift back to that because again you can get a job right away with no degree and make 30 40 50 bucks an hour mm-hmm. you can make you know 60 75 bucks an hour as a welder with no degree you know you have to get a skill you learn it you know you get get licensed or certified or whatever um, you know, a phlebotomist, you can become a phlebotomist for a $1,000 a week and go through it. $1,000 do a week-long course, now you can draw blood and get paid 30 40 bucks an hour as a phlebotomist, you know. Um, and so there absolutely is a, a trend of, of not going to college anymore. In fact, a lot of these universities, if you read, they're worried about how they're going to continue their multi-billion dollar endowments yeah. because they don't have enough students enrolling. Uh, but there's also the shift towards marketing. I've got a nephew. This guy is 20, he's probably 22 now, 23, 22. He, his dad wanted him to go to college. He didn't want to. He asked what I thought. I said, don't do it. You know, I mean, because he's an artist. Too. He, he does video and uh, social media stuff and pictures. He's a great photographer, great artist, graphics. This was a couple of years ago. He, was, he just graduated from high school. Uh, his dad was wanting him to go for graphic design. He didn't want to. Uh, he opted not to because he was going to have to pay for it himself or go in debt. He ended up, as an 18, 19-year-old high school graduate, ended up landing a client with a, a major, major deal with the NFL. Wow. Doing photography and stuff, making $50,000 on retainer, plus all these upside commissions and stuff. He, he's now been making over six figures for a few years now, and he's in his early 20s. Most college, I don't know what the average, like the average in all fields of, an, of a uh, college graduate is. But coming out of a four-year degree, my first job at Enterprise Rent-A-Car, I only made $30,000. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I don't – the average, I'd say – I think the average income in America for a household is like 54000 People aren't getting a four-year degree and making hundred grand out of the gate. That's just not happening. Yeah. But you get good at copywriting, you can make fifty, sixty, seventy thousand just with clients. You can hit $100,000 in 18 months, mm-hmm. you know? And then you, you get these deals, you get royalties, all these different bonus structures. And uh, it's it's definitely possible. So I, I do think college is a scam, again, for most people. And I think you can learn copywriting instead. And if you're a teacher on the fence about leaving the classroom, know this, if I may be so bold. You can help people. I'll say you can help more people by writing copy. The influence that you will have on your audience and the copy that you write will far exceed the influence you can have teaching kids in the classroom. And I mean that as, with as much respect as I can, because, you know, in the classroom, you're going to teach 20 kids a year, 30 years, you know, whatever the case is, you do the math on that. You can write, you know, Tanya, you and I have written sales letters that have been mailed to hundreds of thousands of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially that, if you're, you're getting products that are going to solve huge problems in your lives into like so many people's hands yes. with one piece of coffee. Yes. And people, they get into teachings. They want to help others. They want to serve others. And they're, they're doing it one life at a time. In copy, it's salesmanship multiplied. You have that impact to help others. It's multiplied through your copy. So that's all I got, Tanya. Hopefully that's helpful. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, I was wondering if you could share uh, what it is that you do now as a copy chief for, for those who are curious, you know, what, what's a, a day in the life of a copy chief like? And, you know, what, what else are you currently working on on the side? Because I know you're not just a copy chief at Banyan yeah. Hill. Yeah. Yep. So I am a full-time retainer at Banyan Hill, but I'm a contractor. And that is not the only thing that I do. I also lead the world of financial copywriting with Kevin Rogers as a copy chief, you know, uh, that you mentioned earlier. But that's just one of the things, you know, I, I had really niched myself in, into this area of, uh, I was on the phone with Kevin yesterday, financial publishing, copywriting for financial publishers, copywriting for fintech companies, and copywriting for trader education-based businesses, okay? Uh, the fourth area that I'm 
going to start doing more in. It's it's much more niche, but it's the topic of uh, cryptocurrencies in the church. And again, that's very niche, but I am using my pastoral background and my knowledge of financial markets and cryptocurrencies because nobody's talking about that. And that is an area that I think I can bring a lot of expertise and authority to is how does church and inter- I mean, again, nonprofits, you know, massive nonprofits, international nonprofits, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. They don't know how to deal with cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. So I want to become that guy that teaches them how. Uh, again, nonprofits, you know, ministries, uh, that culprit. So, uh, you know, so I, I've got uh, a couple things up, up my sleeve uh, where I combine, you know, if, if any, if, if, if you have a business or an interest in money and or marketing, I'm your guy. And then if you have a overlap between nonprofits or ministry and money and marketing, I'm really your guy. <laughs> so. Uh, everything will be up on uh, my new website, joshualeehenry.com. I'm doing a complete rebrand to uh, uh, you know, uh, articulate this. You have inspired me. Your website is incredible. Your lead magnet is incredible. Your emails, because you are actually you know, pretty regular with your email correspondence, and I'm not. I haven't been. And so, again, I'm looking at Tanya like, man, i got to keep up. i got to keep up. She's, keeping, she's putting the heat on. So uh, I'm doing a massive website rebrand where I will have these different areas listed and ways that people can contact me through that. Awesome. I guess, and in, in the, sorry. Oh, and there was like one question that I talked before that. Um, what's your, your day-to-day like as a coffee chief? So day-to-day, I get up and I do, I, I try in a best case scenario, I try to block my days where I do all of my writing in the morning and all my phone calls in the afternoon. That doesn't always happen. I know for me, creatively, I can only write for a few hours at a time, and then I have to take a few hours of a break. Yeah. And so what I try to do is I try to write copy from 9 to 11 or 12 as, as much as I can. The biggest, most important piece of copy I have to write that day, I try to do it in those those three-hour windows. In the afternoon, I take an hour lunch. I usually, you know, will watch some videos or go hang out with my kids or, you know, work out. You know, have an hour lunch to just unwind. And then I come back, I reply to emails, and I usually do my afternoon phone calls. And so that's a perfect day. Fridays are made for catch-up. I do the Dan Sullivan model of having focus days, buffer days, and catch-up days. Friday is a buffer day for me, so that's when I like to record podcasts like this, where I'm doing things that I'm passionate about but aren't directly related to you know making money for myself or making money for my clients. Um, and then my focus days – are really Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday is my buffer day. You know, Wednesday afternoon and Thursday, that's where I catch up on everything that I couldn't get done on Monday and Tuesday, um, and, and that's where I do a lot of my personal, you know, because when you're spending all your time running clients, you know, there's things on the personal side I need to do. I need to make updates on my website. I need to write my email for my list. I need to, you know, call the bank or whatever the case is, you know, for my family. And so I try to do that stuff Wednesday afternoon and Thursdays, but Monday and Tuesday are very, very focused on writing in the morning, Phone calls in the afternoon. So do you mind sharing um, with those in the audience who don't know, like, what's the difference between a copy chief and a copywriter? So a copy chief is somebody that is going to uh, mentor, supervise, instruct, and give guidance to other copywriters. And so I have right now uh, three other copywriters who are very, very good that I am chiefing them. Now, that doesn't mean that I am, like, better than them necessarily, although I have been in roles where I was clearly the more senior copywriter that I was uh, helping them get to that next level. But the model that we have right now at Banyan Hill is that everybody gets a mentor. And so right now, uh, there's a gentleman that you know, Tim Deering. Uh, he's mentoring me on a promo. So everybody gets a partner. It's like in Copy Chief, we have the saying, nobody writes alone. We have now changed the model at Banyan Hill where nobody writes alone. Everybody has a partner. Uh, before, we used to just, like, the senior writers like myself and Tim, you know, we were chiefs, so we didn't really have anybody giving us feedback. But what we've learned is that you have to have feedback. You have to have somebody giving you feedback. Somebody. The best copywriters in the world, I know, still get feedback. I believe Mike Palmer still gets feedback from Kelly, right? You know what I mean? So it's like you always get feedback from somebody. Um, again, not saying that that person is better. But it's just somebody else that can see those blind spots in your copy that you might not be aware of, that you can bounce ideas off of, that might give you a new tip for a headline or a special, 
unique hook for the close. Um, we talked about pattern interrupts earlier. I like to talk through pattern interrupts with somebody else because when you add more minds together, you expand the creative output. And so you can usually come up with better ideas in a small, intimate group that you can trust and share those ideas with and, and improve them. And so that's what a copy sheet does. And so I've got four other guys that I read their promos. I make line edits in Word. I make comments on ways that they can strengthen the copy, improve the copy, make some line edits with word changes. Uh, sometimes they accept my edits. Sometimes they don't. Um, sometimes they might, it might give them an idea for a better edit that they have. But that's really what it is. And so I read a lot of copy. I edit a lot of copy. And I write a lot of copy. Awesome. Thank you. Because I, I think I've interviewed Melanie, but then I didn't clarify what a copy sheet was. So that's for everyone who's wondering, you know, what are the opportunities when you become a copywriter? Being a copy chief is one of them. Um, and thank you so much for spending the last 50 minutes with me. You can, I will drop all the links for, I'll, I'll, you know, this will probably be out January, I think. So uh, I'll drop all the links to Joshua's brand new website. Do you have any last words for the audience? No, I, I just want to encourage you if, you, if you are thinking that copywriting might be, you know, right for you, if you're thinking about making a career change, if you're thinking about just even dipping your toe in the water of freelance copywriting, I would encourage you to do so. Um, you, you know, there, there's always the fear of the unknown, but what I want to do is give you hope and encouragement that if you dip your toe and if you keep learning from Tanya and others, there is a proven path to get on the fast track of copywriting where you can get clients, get paid, and have just as much joy and satisfaction and fulfillment as you might get from teaching, but doing it in a way that applies your skills for research, for communication, for writing, and for instruction through copywriting. And I can tell you, you can get paid very, very, very well. You can manage your own schedule. You can be your own boss. And you can have the life of your dreams through copywriting, and I'm living proof. Yeah, oh, my God. I, I haven't even talked about So he, Joshua has this amazing house in the middle of nowhere in Indiana with, like, your own, like, your woods and, and gym and this. Okay, I, maybe I should do video in the future. This room that he writes <laughs> in and all that. Yeah, so that's what I'm working towards, you know, so. Yeah, I hope that Joshua's story inspires you. And thank you so much for joining us. See you on the next episode of Classroom New Copy.